Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, alongside my good friend for the first time this week from the Bucks Radio Network, it is Justin Garcia for today's episode brought to you by Michelob Ultra at only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Player of the Week coming up later in this episode. Uh, Justin, I, we haven't caught up on the pod this week, but I, I saw you, if I'm not mistaken, I saw you lurking in the locker room at the Yellow Knights. So you didn't request to speak. <laughs> I thought I thought maybe that we may have said something. Frank or myself may have said something that prompted you to, to have to get something off your chest, but no. No, I just uh, wanted to take it in and like, all right, now I get, a, I get a chance to listen to these guys do the pod live in real time. I'm going to take advantage of this. I didn't want to uh, step on toes, so I was just there to observe. Yeah, I'm going to have to check the schedule, but we'll definitely do one again next week and uh, it was pretty cool we had like 20 people in there uh, the other day and and certainly the chat room was was starting to roll a little bit there so uh, it's fun it's fun i enjoy it uh, we had a good time last week when we did it but as far as the bucks go this week we are going to talk obviously more trade deadline stuff and follow up on some of the points frank was making towards the end of yesterday's post game pod which if you missed go back and check that out but just in regards to the stand-ins, what other teams might do in the East. So we're going to touch on that in a little bit. But before I do, I want to get to the injury report. The Bucks are playing the Celtics at Fireserve Forum. That's a 6.30 p.m. Central tip uh, tonight as you are probably listening to this pod uh, local time there. And the Celtics, obviously, it's always a big matchup when these two teams get together. It is on ESPN, uh, so a national TV game. But the Bucks injury report currently, the latest one we have, as Giannis still questionable with that left knee sprain, I don't think that that's a huge shock. PJ Tucker is probable, which is interesting. I mean, we know he sort of tweaked that ankle, came back on for a little bit, and I think it was probably more the game situation that prompted the Bucks to say, okay, that's chill here. We don't need to push this guy through anything. But the one addition that we do have is Bryn Forbes is questionable with a right toe sprain. Uh, I didn't really see an incident there. I, I'm not sure what happened there. But toe injuries, we know, can be pretty nasty. So Bryn Forbes also questionable. Uh, so we'll wait and see. But the Bucks again, perhaps playing without Giannis for this game against Boston, which isn't insignificant when you look at the standings. And we were just discussing this. I do believe, unless I'm mistaken, if the Nets lose to the Blazers as we are recording here, uh, then the Bucks might finally move up to second, which has been a, a fair odd process. When you win 12 games out of 13 and you don't move up in the standings, it just tells you uh, the way that these top two teams have been playing in recent times. So uh, you got to keep winning. Yeah, they would, uh, they would be in second by the percentage points, and you would then be, what, just a game back of the Sixers if the Sixers lose tonight as well as they're playing um, same time as, as Brooklyn. So, you know, I, um, I still kind of feel like, and this goes against everything I thought even two or three weeks ago, 
I've started to move into the camp that the Bucks are going to end up with the best record in the Eastern Conference because we still don't know what's going to happen with Kevin Durant. And I know Brooklyn has been on an absolute tear even without Durant and now without Kyrie Irving. But at some point, that's going to catch up with you. And the big thing that the Bucks have in their favor is four games left against those two teams and all four of those games are at home. And I believe they have the schedule advantage in both of those series too, where they're catching both teams on a back-to-back in the first one. So uh, I kind of feel like the Bucks are going to move into first eventually in the East and that depending, which we'll get to later, any big moves for either team, but specifically Philadelphia and you know, you don't want to place too much importance on it, but it's important to win the East this year just with that three teams that we have at the top and how they've separated themselves from the rest of the Eastern Conference. If you can make sure you only have to go through one of them, that's really important, and especially for the Sixers and the Bucks. If there's one thing that I feel like I've been very strongly reminded about over the last week or so, it's how big a role luck plays in uh, not only your regular season success, but also um, what can happen in any potential playoff series. And just as we started this show, I finished watching the Lakers and Pelicans, and I understand the listeners may be thinking, why the hell were you watching Lakers-Pelicans with no LeBron and no AD? And that's a great question. I've got to get a life. There's no doubt about that. I was watching this Lakers lineup that they had out there and I was already picturing in three or four years time when the Lakers, when LeBron's finished, if he's finished, whatever, and they acquire their next free agent superstar because they do, they get hand gifted these free agents. Then tonight's lineup is the type of lineup that you're going to see Lakers fans screenshotting on Twitter in five years time and saying, we deserve this. Remember those rough times that we went through? Kyle Kuzma was our best player and Markeith Morris. But anyway. The Lakers are really struggling. That's the point here. And when you look out west, uh, they have now lost uh, three games in a row, the Lakers, but they're 28 and 16. But they are only two and a half games or three games out of a play-in spot. And even if they don't slip that far with the play-in spot, they are really staring down the barrel of a first-round series with potentially the Clippers or the Phoenix Suns or the Utah Jazz. And again, it's just a reminder that any type of injury like this, and we saw it when Drew Holiday missed 10 games for the health and safety protocol, and the Bucs went through some stuff. They had a five-game losing streak, and this season, more than any, it does feel that these absences are hurting teams and impacting where they finish. So as much as the Bucs are playing tremendous basketball out of the All-Star break, it feels like the chemistry is really coming together on the defensive end. Um, You're going to need some luck as well. The difference with the Eastern Conference right now is the fact that there is some extreme separation between the top three teams and, of course, uh, the the teams below there. So the Bucs are currently six and a half games clear of the fourth seed Atlanta Hawks. But some of those teams in the first round matchups that we've discussed, it could be potentially tricky. And I did DM a couple of friends the other day about the Hornets, and it's kind of crazy to say this, but the fact that LaMelo Ball obviously has had his likely season-ending wrist injury even though he's a rookie it significantly decreases any type of anxiety you might have about playing uh, let's be honest a pretty dangerous charlotte hornets team in the first round of the postseason there so it's survival of the fittest right now and it's quite remarkable to see how these teams are trying to navigate through these setbacks yeah and you know earlier in the year we talked about the potential landmine that was out there with Miami when they were yeah. going through all the covid related issues and everything else in the beginning of the year but now they've righted the ship and they're up towards the top half 
of the conference. I guess the team that you would point to would be the Celtics, and there's a good chance that's who you're going to end up playing because, you know, at this point, I, barring a huge move that Danny Ainge makes, which we know he's always close to a move, but I, I don't know if the Celtics have one in their bag. Um, but barring a huge move for them, I just don't see Boston finishing above sixth in the Eastern Conference this year. And, you know, we know the Bucks aren't going to finish any lower than third, I would assume, bar, again, barring anything unforeseen. So there's a decent chance you could play Boston in the first round, which I guess makes these two games that you have coming up uh, Wednesday and Friday, all the more interesting. But yeah, it the LaMelo injury, I mean, you know, the top three teams were still going to beat the Hornets, but it would have been much friskier that, you know, all of a sudden it's potential for what if Charlotte wins one or two of those games in the first round? That's gone. And, you know, I, I just don't see it with the other teams down there towards the bottom, the Knicks especially, and even the Bulls and the Pacers, we've seen the Bucks just have their way with for the last three years. So, it is very much looking like it's set up kind of the opposite of the Western Conference where each of those top three seeds should have a relatively easy matchup in the first round. I, I mean, I guess the interesting part would just to be seeing what's four, five, and six and if Boston can crack in the top four or five there. But, um, yeah, I mean, that LaMelo injury certainly alleviated some of that concern. But the interesting thing, too, is, I mean, I don't think Charlotte's going to fall out of the playoff race even without LaMelo just because of, you know, how some of these other teams in the East have played this season. And the interesting part about the, the trade deadline and the buyout market is, I don't know how you felt about this, but early in the year I, I was of the mindset that, you know, I, I don't know if it's going to be very busy and if we're going to see a lot of stuff done because of the nine and 10 with the play in tournament. And there may be some teams that kind of talk themselves into going for that and may be a little hesitant to relinquish some of these pieces. And now when you look at how it's, it's started to settle with not only the top three in the East, but really, I mean, it, it's looking more and more like we know who the 10 teams are going to be. And we're seeing Toronto continue to struggle with COVID related issues as well. And who knows, maybe Kyle Lowry's gone, but the teams below the Raptors, we've kind of seen them start to wave the white flag and, and the separation there. So it's starting to feel like a rarity where we kind of know who all the playoff teams in the East are going to be. It's just a matter of seeding now. Yeah, two and a half games are separating the four seed through 10 at the moment, which is quite incredible. And that's Atlanta, Charlotte, Miami, New York, Boston, Chicago, and Indiana. And I think it's a pretty good point you make. We're certainly going to move into the trade deadline stuff a little bit more later on in the show, but teams like Chicago, teams like the Knicks, Hornets even, they're all rumored to be teams that are looking to make additions. And then we know Miami and Boston as well are going to be involved there. And the Pacers actually might be shaping those sellers. So we'll wait and see what happens here. But this is the crazy thing about this. The conversation we're having right now, and yes, we can say that we can separate the top three teams. That's fine. But these teams below from four through 10 are going to make significant moves, it feels like, in the next couple of days. And then if you include the 11, Toronto might be going the opposite direction and selling a little bit here. But there is going to be a lot of turnover. It feels like there's going to be a lot going on in the next couple of days. So we will uh, wait and see there. I want to talk about Brook Lopez a little bit. We discussed him yesterday on the show so i want to get to that a bit more but before we do have to send a little bit of a congratulations out here to our man uh diakite who cleaned up the g league awards i guess the the all nba g league teams at this morning it was announced that he made the nba g league 
all-rookie team. Uh, he finished second in Rookie of the Year voting. He was named to the All-NBA G League first team and the NBA G League all-defensive team as well. Not a huge surprise. We know. We saw the highlights. We saw the stats. This guy was simply dominant. Yeah, and uh, I mean, the biggest item and piece of news around Mamadi Diakite in the last few days is he was our guest on Courtside Live over the Mm. weekend and uh, revealed he's going to be bringing back the blonde hair relatively soon, (laughs) so keep an eye out for that. Well, that's literally the reason how I remembered him from college because any, anyone that listens to this podcast a lot knows that I'm, I'm not a college basketball fan, but uh, I definitely knew who he was just purely from that haircut. So that'll be great to see. And again, we keep saying it, but this guy is, seems extremely popular within the group, has a great relationship with Giannis. He's really the latest Bucks big man that's on the fringe of the rotation to form a bond with Giannis. Giannis, uh, he he likes to hang out with these guys. He was very, very close with Thon. He was very, very close with Christian Wood. I don't know what it is. These fringe rotation big guys and Giannis seem to get along uh, very, very well. Uh, Like I mentioned, Brook Lopez here in just a little bit, but it is time to name our Michelob Ultra player of the week. Now, we know with Michelob Ultra, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. With 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, uh, Michelob Ultra always says enjoyment isn't the end game. It's the whole game. Giannis, I believe, is four for four in Michelob Ultra Player of the Weekend. I could probably give it to him again, Justin, and no one would bat an eyelid. It would make absolutely perfect sense. But I'm going in a different route. Uh, what do you, wh- where do you think I'm going with this? Um, boy, are you going to go? Well, I, I would assume it's, it's probably Drew Holiday then. Yeah, recency bias here is taking over and Giannis is out for a game or potentially two games here. So I'm going with Drew Holiday, the 28 points and 14 assists uh, to go along with five rebounds against the Pacers. And not only that, he was enjoying it because he was taking down his brothers and again, showing them who's boss. So Drew Holiday, the Michelob Ultra Player of the Week, the first player to knock Giannis off the perch here. And it might be a little controversial, but hey, we want to give... Drew Holiday, some love. And remember, are you happy because you win or do you win because you're happy? Drew Holiday, the Michelob Ultra Player of the Week. Uh, I also want to talk about Paramount Plus because March Madness has returned to Paramount Plus and and they have the games that you do not want to miss. You can watch CBS games live on Paramount Plus, including the Final Four and National Championship game, which is on April 5. Paramount Plus is also the home to year-round sports, including the Masters, PGA Championship, the UEFA Champions League, Europa League, NFL, whatever, anything else. They, I don't know. If they've got Australian football, they might have Australian football. Who knows? But plus, you can get your breaking news, expert picks, and highlights from all your favorite teams with CBS Sports or HQ, a 24-7 sports news network. So uh, you can probably guess that I watch way too much sports. And if I'm not watching basketball, I'm watching uh, something, some other sport. And that's the beauty of Paramount+. Plus. It's all there for you. So... Visit ParamountPlus.com before March 31 to receive a one-month free trial of Paramount Plus. That's ParamountPlus.com to receive a one-month free trial of Paramount Plus. Uh, That's ParamountPlus.com. I highly recommend you jump on it because it is well and truly worth it. And I recommend you uh, use it to watch. They have all the or most of the seasons of the real world and the real world road rules challenge as well as we talk about sports. I mean, that's... That's the fifth major sport, so you can catch up on all the seasons of the challenge. Can you please explain yourself? 
so are you familiar with the real world? No. Oh, okay. Well, it's, it's an American thing where it, it's one of the pioneers of reality TV where they just would take seven strangers and put them in a house and they would live together for months. And they did, they did this starting in the early 90s and it went all the way until a couple of years ago. And Paramount Plus is going to revive it too. Uh, but then they started to turn that into a feeder system for the challenge, which was basically um, kind of like Survivor, where they just took contestants from the real world and from some other shows that Paramount-related networks would do. And uh, they would at first have them do ridiculous challenges. And now it's become much more athletic, where they're getting actual athletes on the show and uh, doing much more physical challenges. So uh, it is quickly moving up there, right in line with hockey as one of the major sports. Unbelievable. Just another reason to uh, to jump on Paramount Plus there. So uh, like I said, ParamountPlus.com. Check it out. Get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And I, you know, we know Peter Bukowski hosts Locked On Packers as well. Um, I saw perhaps some mixed reviews that looks like the Packers re-signed Kevin King. I'm not sure that everyone was overly um, pleased with that move, Justin. Is that fair to say? I think that's fair to say. I think that's fair to say. I uh, I saw the best meme out there was the old car salesman where it was, you had the customer, the salesman and the car and it was the car was Kevin King, me, the salesman and me, the customer as well, trying to convince myself that this is a good move. Well, that's unfortunate. But listen, still a few months away from the NFL season. So uh, maybe, maybe that one will simmer down a little bit. But I want to talk about Brooke Lopez uh, and I'm still, I'm maintaining this. I'm still absolutely not prepared to take any type of Brook Lopez victory lap, uh, Justin. And you know, we spoke about this, Frank. Uh, I, I've certainly been pretty vocal, as have you, that you know, I thought that the, his value to the team was going to eventually show up later on the season when you hoped that the Bucks started to figure things out a little bit. Um, and we'll see. It's such a small sample size out of the All-Star break. There's no doubt he's been looking fantastic. There's no doubt the Bucks have been using him a, a little bit more offensively. But the, the one point that I did want to make, because his scoring has gone up from around 10 points per game to 15 after the All-Star break. And one of the, the pushbacks I always had with Brook in, in terms of his offense is, when people say, well, he's such a talented post player, get him the ball, get him touches. I always said, well, sure. But if you are getting Brook Lopez post touches, then you're taking the ball out of Giannis's hands and Drew's hands and Chris's hands and you're clogging up space in the paint. I think this has been the most um, impressive thing to me that we've seen for Brook. We spoke about the lobs on yesterday's show, but they're finding him within the flow of the offense. And they are really highlighting the significant skills that he has close to the basket. Um, he's obviously feeling pretty good and confidence is up right now. But it's not just, let's dump the ball into Brook in the post because he's a talented post player. These touches that he is getting and the shots that he's getting and the looks he's getting closer to the basket, which has gone up dramatically, to me, just feels like perhaps he's been a little bit more aggressive, which Mike Budenholzer certainly pointed to. But it's just the Bucks, I think, finding better chemistry in the half court and understanding that if Brook runs hard in transition, finds himself under the basket, toss him the ball in there for a quick layup or a lob, and he's taking advantage of that. The numbers that I tweeted uh, last night, so pre-All-Star break, Brook Lopez was averaging 2.8 field goal attempts per game within eight feet. 
at 2.8, which is obviously a low number. He was 66% on those. After the All-Star break, he's at 5.5 field goal attempts per game, which is legitimately double the volume from within eight feet. And he's shooting 72.7% on those. So yeah, uh, the lobs have been a feature there. There's no doubt through the season. But again, uh, he's getting in the paint and it's not a half-court situation. Let's clog up the paint and, and get in, in the other player's space. It's coming in the rhythm. It's coming with good ball movement. And the Bucks are firing on all cylinders offensively. And I think Brooke Lopez is benefiting from that. Yeah, and... Um... It's what's I guess struck me most is I looked at something last night because when you looked at his box score and you saw most of it was being done around the basket and the numbers that you just referred to as well, I was like, you know, you know, I guess kind of seems like Brooke isn't taking as many threes during this stretch that we're talking about. And then you look at the box scores and you realize that's not the case that um, it, it's just been last night's or, or Monday night's game. And then, uh, one other game during this stretch where he only attempted three, but it's still like that's not a you know a small amount. So mm-hmm. it's not like he's just ignoring the outside. It's just the overall uh, amount of shot attempts that he's taking. Where six of these seven games during the win streak, he's he's taken ten or more shots, and he had only done that I think ten times the whole season prior. So I uh, I think it was after the Spurs game where he talked about one of the things you alluded to and just getting the shots within the flow of the offense. And he's, he's being more aggressive, as he said, but he's not, you know, going out there and just setting up in the post and calling for the ball and being aggressive in that. You know, he's playing within the flow of the offense, but when those opportunities arise, he's taking them more. Whereas in the past, maybe he was a little more passive or we saw him hang out on the perimeter and in the corners, especially a lot more. Now he's around the basket more. And when he does get those opportunities within the flow of the offense, He's just taking the shot. Yeah, Brook Lopez, as I mentioned, up to 15 points per game post-All-Star break. It's uh, interesting you bring up the three-point shot because you're right. He is attempting just a tick under five per game, which is right around where his average has been all season. But his three-point percentage has actually dropped from around 35% pre-All-Star break to he's only shooting 27.6% out of the break. Now, again, it's only been six games. But that's probably the thing that stands out to me the most, that he's been able to average 15 points per game, which is a high mark for him, certainly since he's been in Milwaukee. And he's only shooting 27% from three, which I think is the positive thing there. I mean, if he turns that around and still finds a way to to pick up those, those easy baskets, and that's what they are, the easy baskets around uh, the paints, then I think the Bucks are going to be in good stead there. As far as defensively goes with Brooke, and I was looking at some of the on and off numbers last night as well because one of the prime arguments that someone that says Brooke is washed let's get rid of him would say is that the Bucks defense uh, was worse with Brooke Lopez on the floor prior to the all-star break now if you look at the advanced numbers that that is true the defensive rating with Brooke Lopez on the floor prior to the all-star break was at around 111 uh, the number that's interesting to me is that the net rating was still a positive. So the Bucks were still a positive with Brooke on the floor, despite the fact that the defense, not, the defensive numbers weren't where we'd come to expect. Post All-Star break, that defensive rating with Brooke on the floor is at 100. Again, only six games. We'll see where this filters out over the next month or so here. But the net rating, again, is exactly where it is. It's just that prior to the All-Star break, that net rating for Brooke on and off was around six points. Per 100 possessions, now it's up to around 13, which, again, lines up with the dominance that we've seen from Milwaukee, who are 6-0 and 
out of the all-star break here. But overall, and this was always my argument, overall we've seen the Bucks' defensive numbers really tick upwards and trend upwards to a place that is more familiar for us watching this Bucks team. I think we saw incidents like yesterday where Brook Lopez admitted, yes, we got into it a little bit, or I got into it a little bit with Bud because there was a miscommunication on switching there. And he said, this is the way I am. We know that Brook Lopez is a super emotional guy. We see it on the floor every single night. But, you know, maybe the break did do him well. And that's certainly a, a pot- potential theory. It's something we discussed as a possibility. And maybe that served him well to have a few days off there. But also, it just to me really feels like this team as a group is coming together. And Brook Lopez, again, probably benefits as much as anyone with the team being in sync defensively. I, I think that with the role that you're asking him to play, uh, he needs everyone to be in sync so he's not left out on an island as we saw time and time again in the first half of the season. But full credit to him. He's been fantastic. Yeah, and uh, I remember it was one of the things that uh, you brought up to Coach right uh, at the start of the second half, too, where he had kind of alluded to it was probably going to take some time for Brooke to get going this season, and I think that's certainly the case. But as, as you and I have talked about before, I think you also can't discount of all the changes that this team has gone through, I think you could make a pretty strong case that Brooke Lopez has been impacted the most by these changes because of – you know, just the defensive pairing he had with Eric Bledsoe and even on offense, the chemistry that he had there. Now we're seeing uh, that chemistry start to develop with Chris Middleton, especially in the last few games. But there was some big changes for Brooke Lopez, and I'm sure that took a lot of time. And even some other stuff that I know uh, you had been on as well, dating back to the bubble with how Brooke Lopez changed the profile of some of his shots. And that's when we saw him go to the corner a lot more. So there's been a lot of change for him. And I guess long story short is I just don't know what we can really take away from his numbers, especially in the first half of the season, that as we talk about this team getting better throughout the season, I think the same can be said, especially for Brooke, just because of all the changes going on around him. And some of these tweaks as well, offensively, what we talked about, where he's taking more shots around the rim. And, you know, I guess the interesting part is it remains to be seen how, they're going to utilize both he and P.J. Tucker. But I think the assumption is, you know, depending on the matchup, we're going to see P.J. Tucker playing pretty close to even minutes as Brooke Lopez once he gets up to speed with this team. And when you think about the offense, I mean, it was so important for Brooke Lopez to be taking those three-pointers from where he was taking them, especially the first year in this system. And he was one of the best shooters that you have or had then and now we've seen the offense change quite a bit where you know the the Bucks are putting guys in a better spot around the dunker spot when it's you know Pat Connaughton and Dante that we've seen hanging out there but just the amount of shooters that they're putting out there on the floor as well that I think that's part of it too and, and maybe I wouldn't say part of his comfort but that's part of the change as well where you're not as dependent on Brooke Lopez to be stretching the defense and playing out as far as he was because you have more shooters that you're sprinkling in around there. And when you get to those lineups, I mean, I would assume PJ Tucker is going to take on that role that you'll just camp him in the corner and you don't really need Brooke to say, Hey, just hang out and take those deep above the break threes because we need you to pull some of the defenders away and free things up for Giannis. This year you have other guys that are doing that. Absolutely. And I think as we near the trade deadline, and we're going to talk about this more uh, now and look at some of the other teams, it is certainly tempting 
if you want to make a big trade and people jump on the trade machine and, and have lots of fun there and come up with different possibilities, but if you wanted to make a big swing for the Bucs, it's likely Brooke Lopez that would be involved there. And my big thing uh, the whole time has been that you can't replace Brooke Lopez or you're not going to replace him with a center. You're going to need a center come playoff time. And if there's one thing we've learned, even with the addition of PJ Tucker, the depth is pretty low. And again, you only have Brooke, PJ, and uh, of course, Bobby Portis there as well. And there's question marks over really all the guys. So you, you got you need them all. I think Brooke is going to be terribly important when it comes to the postseason. And I'm glad that we've seen this little stretch from him because it is a nice reminder of what he can bring to this team when he is feeling good and he is in positions where he can impact the game as much as we've seen it. Uh, I do, before we move on to the trade deadline stuff, we're going to talk about Built Bar Madness, uh, this bracket just continues to roll on. Justin, I know last time we were talking, we were at the sweetest 16, but we are we are really about to get to the flavorful four. We've got one more matchup left in the enticing eight, and that's between Coconut Brownie Chunk and Lemon Almond Cheesecake. Now, uh, I think you referenced the fact that you're not a big coconut guy. Yeah, yeah so I would uh, just vote for the uh, lemon almond cheesecake by default. And I think we talked about this last time too, uh, by the way, talk about a missed opportunity. How is it not the elite eight and you just spell it A T E. Yeah. Well, you know me, I mean, obviously I would be a fan of that. <laughs> I mean, that would, that would really be right up my alley. I've got some, I've got some bad news for you though. We currently already have the coconut almond and the oh, coconut boy. puff that are through to the enticing eight. So if we get the coconut brownie chunk we've got three out of the enticing eight a coconut so it, it's not shaping up to be a successful bracket for garcia i have to say that but built bar madness uh, you can check out all the matchups there by going to builtbar.com or at bar underscore built on twitter and remember use the promo code locked 15 to get 15 percent off your next order that's locked 15 to get 15% off your next order at builtbar.com. That's B U I L T B A R.com. And check back to see who won today's matchup and who will become the best tasting protein bar ever. Now, you should be able to bet on this, by the way. You should be able to bet on Built Bar Madness. And uh, if you were going to be able to do it, you do it at betonline.ag because it is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action, whether it's NBA, college basketball, NHL, uh, that show that. Justin was talking about earlier, real, real world. Um, you probably, you can probably bet on that. I don't know. You have to check it out. But they have all the real time, updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. Uh, use the promo code Locked On there. It's Bet Online, your online sportsbook expert. Get more analysis on the top prospects available in this year's NBA draft with the Locked On NBA Draft podcast. Scouting reports, draft rumors, mock drafts, and full coverage of March Madness four days a week from credentialed draft experts. Subscribe today and follow Locked On NBA Draft. Now, I already hinted to the fact that anything can happen. Of course, anything can happen at the trade deadline. I don't anticipate the Bucks making a, a big trade, um, who knows? Anything could happen from here on out. But I tell you what, the rumors are starting to come in thick and fast just in the last hour or so here. We've basically got confirmation that Kyle Lowry and Norman Powell are on the trade table. 
earlier today, we heard that DeMar DeRozan is uh, someone that uh, would be open to being traded or the Spurs are open to taking offers there. Uh, Andre Drummond is potentially going to sign with the Los Angeles Lakers. JJ Redick is potentially a buyout candidate as well. Uh, I want to go through all these, but that's just straight up start with JJ Redick because uh, we have spoke about the fact that probably the Bucks would want a ball handler and someone that can run the offense a little bit. Uh, there is some rumors that JJ Redick would sign in Brooklyn, and I don't think anyone would be surprised by that. I think he's got a relationship with Kevin Durant, and he's, he has those guys on his podcast a little bit there. So it wouldn't shock me to see JJ Redick go to Brooklyn. Again, of course, I would probably prefer that he didn't because they're really starting to pile up some some names there. And I know Redick hasn't been at his best this season, but again, put him in a talented lineup and I think he's going to be a serious weapon. I just want to make it clear that I, I can't stop laughing when I see the whole, we don't want JJ Redick in Milwaukee. He wasn't happy here uh previously so we don't want to sign him like come on come on get over it if if jj reddick is a guy that you could sign as a buyout guy and put on your roster and you're not giving up any assets for you would be completely out of your mind if you didn't say yeah we'll take jj reddick right i mean i'm not i'm not crazy here that 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 kind of and i'm a stubborn guy but that kind of stubborn nature is just ridiculous yeah i mean you can never have enough shooters and um i think it's one of the reasons why, too, I mean, you see names like Wayne Ellington is would the Bucks be interested in yeah. him because as as well as Brent Forbes has been playing and some of the other guys that you're getting this production from, you want to have more options where, you know, I know with J.J. Redick, the thing that you would point to is, well, defensively, could it yeah. be an issue? And can you play him off the court and scheme him off the court? Sure, you definitely can, but it's not like you would be asking JJ Redick to be playing 20 or 25 minutes for you that it's going to be limited spurts where you just need a guy that's probably playing in lineups with Giannis to knock down shots. And you could essentially just ride the hot hand of, well, if Bryn doesn't have it, we'll go to JJ Redick or we'll go to whoever the next option is. So, I mean, I would definitely welcome him as that part of the rotation for uh, Bucks fans to quickly point out. I don't want him. I mean, if we're being honest, I think the feeling is probably mutual and JJ Redick <laughs> would not want to come back here. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he's basically said he wants to go to the Northeast because that's where his family is. So whether that's Boston, I know was kicked around early, but it seems more and more likely that it would be Brooklyn, which, you know, I'm with you where, where I do kind of question, is it just a bad situation for JJ Redick? Kind of similar to all the stuff we were saying about PJ Tucker, or, you know, is it also the fact that he's 36 years old? So he is getting to that age where maybe this is just the decline that we're seeing from him. But, I mean, when you ask him to play in that alongside players like Kyrie and James Harden and Kevin Durant, we assume he'll be back, uh, that does tend to uh, help the production tick, tick upward as well. So I think it's fair to say he has definitely regressed a little bit this year, but in the right spot, he's definitely a useful player. And again, the way that I look at this for the most part is when you're trying to acquire players and PJ Tucker was certainly in this boat as well. Yes, I think that he can contribute. I, I don't think that the Bucs are going to acquire anyone that's all of a sudden going to catapult them into championship favoritism. I just don't see that happening. But this time of year, as we've seen the last few seasons as well, no, the results haven't exactly worked out You know, in the perfect scenario for Milwaukee. But this time of year when you're a contender, it's all about 
taking guys that potentially would sign somewhere else as well. And again, with the Bucks two open roster spots right now, would I think that Reddick would come in and be a huge contributor? No, but I also would prefer him in a Milwaukee roster than I would in a Brooklyn or, or a Philadelphia, whatever it may be. We know he had a good run with Philadelphia previously as well. So uh, it, it all comes into it. I'm glad that you mentioned Wayne Allington, another guy that uh, has br- been brought up, you know, potentially as one of those basically trading as a second rounder maybe and, and who knows, a Kuruks or someone like that. If you can ship that guy out of town, that would be great. Something like that. Uh, and for an Aaron Holiday or, or someone of that ilk, again, a guard is probably where I think the Bucks are going to be going. Uh, as far as the other teams around the league, it is interesting to me that DeMar DeRozan and Norman Powell have both been mentioned because then I started to think to myself, these Bucks killers are, are all on the market here and where are the Buck killers going to land? Because DeRozan and Norman Powell are right up the top of the list. They have to be Hall of Fame candidates for the uh, post, uh, let's say post-2010 Buck killers. I feel like those guys are, are in elite company. Yeah, and uh, I mean... This is going to sound ridiculous, but you could make a case that uh, Norm Powell is uh, just as high in the Bucks Killers rankings as Fred Van Vliet was, despite Fred Van Vliet basically yeah, right, yeah. single-handedly turning that series and pushing the Raptors into the playoff and into the finals. I mean, Demar or Demar Derozan, um, Norm Powell did the same thing. <laughs> you think about when that change was made in the series in the starting lineup. That's what swung things, and he's just one of those frustrating guys and equally frustrating because of his ties to Milwaukee. So uh, he's definitely on the list. I mean, I didn't know how literal you wanted to take this, that we could say <laughs> Grievous Vasquez is also <laughs> a right, right, right. and uh, Steve Blake and guys like that. But, I mean, any time – and I think that's what makes Norm Powell even more like, oh, God, I, I'm going to have to see where he ends up. Like Philadelphia, he's being linked to. And that's another case of – Norman Powell and Kyle Lowry, who's another guy that kind of put it on the Bucks in that series, if these guys end up in a spot where you're going to have to go through them again in all likelihood in the postseason, that's just going to double the frustration of facing them. Does Aaron Gordon to the Celtics concern you? Uh, this is potentially a, a move that... I mean, let's be honest, the Celtics are going to have room. And I know you made the joke that they're always close to making a deal. And that's kind of the funny thing about Danny Ainge and the Celtics. There's no doubt about it. But, um, you know, we've got Boston uh, two times here in the next few days. But Aaron Gordon, uh, you know, really, really rumored and reported to potentially uh, be a player of interest for the Celtics. Does that send any fear into your heart? So... I've got to be honest, I saw those reports, what, this morning and or last night, I think it was. I just didn't get it because I don't know what Aaron Gordon would do for you with the Celtics in terms of pushing you up a level there. I don't think he's the guy that takes you from, hey, Boston's been struggling in a 500 team to now they have Aaron Gordon. So this is a top four team in the East. I just don't see that. I understand his best asset is going to be defense, but it's not like Aaron Gordon is a Giannis stopper where I think he's been kind of labeled that as some of the people that are trying to sell this of, well, it gives him another body to throw out there and guys like Giannis and Kevin Durant. I just don't see it. And especially the cost. If, you know, some of the initial reporting was they were kicking around Marcus Smart's name that to me, I would welcome that if I was another team in the Eastern Conference, if the Celtics moved on from Marcus Smart, because it seems like it's no coincidence that this team really started to struggle once he got injured. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting to me for the reason that you pointed out. I mean, if there's a move that the Celtics can make that would make me a little bit concerned, it would be somehow finding a way to get yeah a guy that you actually think, oh, this could be a, a not a problem for Giannis, but someone that could slow him down. The Celtics have not had anyone for years, really. I mean, going right back to when the Bucks destroyed them in five games a couple of seasons ago, they tried to acquire Tristan Thompson. That hasn't worked out. So, yeah, I mean, that's the big issue for me with Boston and the reason why I feel supremely confident that the Bucks could beat them across the seven-game series uh, moving forward to the postseason because of the Giannis factor. I think he would end up averaging 35 and 15 and it would be a dominant display. So, yeah, I would agree with that. Obviously, the big one is going to be uh, Kyle Lowry. You know, I, I think that we all agree that we don't want him to end on Philadelphia. Uh, Miami is certainly stiffing around there. Uh, you did hint to me that you would prefer him to go to Miami, and I think that that makes sense out of those two teams. Uh, you know, Philadelphia with Lowry is certainly a little bit more threatening, but I think the big theme out of all this is that if the Bucks do something it probably will, if they do something minor, it won't be a big surprise. If they do something, anything really noteworthy, uh, it would be shocking. But again, just keeping your eyes on the other teams here. Yeah, I mean, they, they generated that trade exception, but I, I don't see them making a move in terms of a trade. If they do, I think it would be something like a Wayne Ellington type where maybe you use Rodion's Kuroot's contract and a second rounder or two, and you flip that for a player around the same value. Uh, contract wise, but I think that would be the extent of it. I think they're in all likelihood probably just targeting the buyout market. And that's what those moves did to free up the roster spots and the money more importantly to sign two guys. So that's what I would anticipate. The, the Kyle Lowry thing is it's, it certainly looks like we've reached the point that he is definitely going to be traded now with more and more reports coming out from Woj in the last day about um, you know, the Raptors, looking for deals for both he and Norm Powell that it, it feels like, and I think, you know, all the reporting that came from Toronto early of they don't want to move him. Part of me assumes that was mostly Masai Ujiri putting that out there just to increase his value. Um, but it, it certainly looks like he's going to be moved. And, and it seems like if it's not Miami or Philadelphia, that would be an absolute stunner that those are the only two teams We've heard him linked to, and I mean, I just don't see how it's possible with Philadelphia, and maybe that's more, me more hoping than uh, being realistic here, but the package that Philadelphia would have to give up would, you know, they would have to rely heavily on the buyout market because it would basically be a four-for-one type of trade, and you'd be giving up two young players, but even still, the draft pick isn't going to be great. The young players, you know, Tyrese Maxey is probably going to be in that deal, I just don't know if you're, you know, if you're uh, Toronto, if you couldn't try to drive up the price there a little more than any type of package Miami could put together to me, probably seems like it would be more enticing, especially if Tyler Hero is eventually included there. And yeah, I don't think it's ideal for Kyle Lowry to end up in either spot, especially with a chance that, you know, what if Miami struggles and you have to face them as a 3-6 potential matchup? Because right now Miami is tied with the Knicks for the 6th, 5th, and 6th in the uh, Eastern Conference. So I certainly wouldn't want to have to go through Miami again if I can avoid it. But if you're telling me he's getting traded to one of the two teams, I would rather see him end up in Miami than Philadelphia just because, you know, even with what it's going to cost in terms of their depth, 
that's a pretty formidable three-man grouping. And I guess even four, if you throw Tobias Harris in the mix, that Kyle Lowry, we've seen him do it to the Bucks before, assuming Joel Embiid is healthy. And then just the defense of Ben Simmons, where it just knocks him down a peg as well, that you don't need to get as much offensively because you would still then have Tobias Harris and Embiid and now Kyle Lowry in the mix. Well, we do need to get to the bottom of why Miami thinks that Tyler Hero should have the value of LeBron James. That's something that is very confusing to me. But we'll see. I feel like uh, a lot of these conversations that we we have had for the last week, every time we do it, I'm like, maybe this will be redundant by the time uh, people are listening. But we're going to wait and see. The trade deadline is on Thursday. So it's really, really creeping up quickly here. Bucks and Celtics play 6.30 p.m. Central Time tonight. First of two games against Boston at Fiserv Forum. And it's been a little while since we saw the Celtics, obviously, since opening night there. Giannis is questionable. We'll wait and see. Uh, you know we're going to be back with a post-game pod after that one, which we look forward to. But Justin, appreciate you as always. Yeah, anytime. It should be, uh, should be a rather interesting couple of days here. All right. Bucks looking to continue their climb in the standings. We'll see how they go against the Celtics, potentially shorthanded. We'll be back after then. Take care. We'll speak to you guys then.